0: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's uh, episode of the Rained Out Rantcast. I'm your host, Chris. Check uh, me out on Twitter at underscore rantcast. Go to com. check out links, and find uh, where you can listen on any podcast platform. This episode I've got Howdy McCoskey on. He's written such books as Exposing the Expositions. And uh, Exiting the Cave is his new book. Uh, I believe it's available on Amazon now. We talk about uh, basically death, the realm that we're in, and the historical lies that have been fed to us. Like I said, check out uh, RaindelRandcast.com for all the links. Go to BuyMeACoffee.com slash Randcast. Help support the show and check uh, out the live shows uh, every Sunday night, ATN.Live. This was a fun conversation. Uh, (laughs) It gets dark at times, uh, but uh, I found it enjoyable. I found talking about dying very enjoyable. I hope you do too. And if you do, leave a review. If you've listened to this on any podcast platform, leave a a review. Let me know what you thought. And now uh, enjoy this interview with Howdy McCoskey. All right. Yeah. Anything uh, special I should be ready for? No, no. What's
1: your sort of plan?
0: Uh, We'll just kind of roll with it here. Uh, We got uh, Howdy McCoskey on. Am I saying that right? Right, McCoskey? All right. Because. perfect. For some reason, I've been saying it wrong, I and been saying Mikowski when I when I talk about you on my show or on other shows.
1: Yeah, most people, I think, cause so many people use that for some reason, so it kind of gets in people's heads. I and think that's it's what they Sam think Tripoli's, the name fault. Is, but you have it, you have it actually correct.
0: Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's Tripoli's fault. Uh, that's where I first heard you was on Tinfoil Hat with Sam Tripoli, and then uh, okay. after that, I went ahead and listened to every uh, podcast that i could find with you on it uh even the last the two this week uh with uh, uh the higher side chats and uh legit bat two good ones right. there um you uh are the author of, author of exposing the expositions and uh you did a lot of research in in that stuff in in Egypt but your newest thing uh the uh, exiting the cave is that right
2: exit cave yeah
0: about uh kind of this whole realm we're in and your thoughts and theories on it
1: yeah that's that's the best way of describing it it's yeah trying to ask where are we really without taking away uh the hope or the uh the belief structure that we have about it and just tear that apart and what do we have left
0: yeah yeah and uh exiting cave is uh is uh Based off of, I guess, Plato's Cave, right? That uh, parable, yeah. Pla- uh, pa- yeah. Plato's Cave, in which uh, I'd never, I don't think I'd ever heard it until the other day. And uh, I had to cut it. I was listening to the Legit Bat uh, episode and I stopped it there in the middle and I went and listened to it because I was driving and uh, I was thinking, like, yeah, right. I was thinking, you know, it's about slaves in a cave, you know? That they have chained up and it's like, well, they would already have like some sort of perception of reality being that they're slaves, you know, they're not, uh, they're not born into that position. Right. Right. In Plato's slave, And I just thought that was interesting in itself. How, uh, I mean, it's based on, it's talking about the mind control more, I guess. Right. The illusionary mind mm-hmm. control.
1: No, it's 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 bigger than that. I mean, it's it's uh, that's that's still it's that's you're taking the cave at a just a physical level. The cave is everything, right? The cave mm-hmm. is the etheric realm, the astral realm, the every realm. It's all the cave. Plato's cave is 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 massively layered, and um, yeah, the problem with the story. <clears throat> did you actually read? Did you get a chance to find like actually find it and read uh, it? By not chance,
0: yet. Or? I. I got to work and uh, trying to get ready for shows and editing and stuff. It's tough to. Yeah.
1: Because yeah. so when you, uh, when you actually read it, like I read it 20 years ago when I first, sorry, began this work and um, I thought I knew what it was all about. I thought I understood it and and it was presented to me as if it is the perfect example of the non-material nature of our reality. Okay. um. But when I started writing my book now, I I reread it again, like I read it sort of new eyes. And there's so much missing from the story of Plato's cave right from the beginning. It says, if we take the story, it says a number of prisoners are brought in into the cave at birth. They're put in these seats. They're chained to the seats in such a way that they can only see forward onto the cave walls. Uh, A fire is burning behind them. And these beings or people are moving objects in front of the fire to cast shadows on the wall which the prisoners believe are real objects and okay that's the beginning of the story the beginning of the allegory but like you said like we just sort of brought up you're missing we're missing the number one question which is well, what prisoners why are mm-hmm. they prisoners where did they come from what are they prisoners of if they're prisoners if they're, if it's a, if it's a war shouldn't they be in a prisoner of war camp why are they in a cave where is this cave who built the cave um who are these beings that are constantly attempting to um fool these prisoners why are they going through so much effort to fool a bunch of prisoners who you know are sitting in seats what what difference does it make if you're fooling prisoners so you've got all of these problems right away at the beginning of the allegory that are not answered are not brought up it's like it's just breezed right through and i began wondering that there's prop there's two possibilities either that this used to be a much a bigger, larger um, allegory that was in some way edited down and stuff was taken out of it. That's a possibility. Or it's designed to in a sense, somehow mislead people who are looking into it. Or I don't know, because I, I've looked at this thing over 20 years. And I, I'm one of the first people to ask, Hey, uh, why aren't other people asking what prisoners? Where are they coming from? Why are they in a cave? So it, it, it became a very strange exploration actually
0: yeah yeah i guess uh, i should have read it uh i kind of i watched uh, a youtube that was supposed to be you know them reading it but they didn't mention anything about the 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 prisoners were born into the cave and that was like the first thing i was like they're not like if they're
1: yeah no no what no yeah the allegory states that 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 there's the prisoners were brought to the cave sometime after their birth it doesn't say when so it indicates that there was a that they were born somewhere else, mm-hmm. but they don't say where, they don't say why they got to the cave, they don't say why they're prisoners. So it it's it's very it's very similar to the movie Dark City, right? Dark City is is pretty much the same. You have the humans in the movie Dark City that are have come from somewhere else, but nobody tells you where they come from. We never find that out, and we never find out exactly why they even came to Dark City. So it's very similar to Plato's Cave that you're kind of just You're thrown into a story without actually telling you what the hell are you, what what are we dealing with?
0: And that's where we get to the reality that we're dealing with, right? As far as we're kind of thrown into this realm or this uh, reality and we've got to uh, navigate through it the best we can, I guess well we have to
1: i i think that's i mean that's the usual answer that's what i would have said for a long time but the real answer has to be well we have to we have to we have to actually figure out what the realm is and who Mm -hmm. we actually are otherwise we're operating under highly likely false ideas right If, if so much is i mean if so much is false and deception why should we just believe what we think we've been told to believe about this reality so where do i go with this um so for me, we run into the first and it's one of the big reasons why I wrote Exit the Cave. Um, as you you know, you probably heard me from the other mm-hmm. podcasts over the last couple of years. Where I was cool. talking more about um, history and, and the expositions, of the World's Fairs and time of the 1800s, which was overcoming lies and deception within the within the field of history. Mm-hmm. Um Now, once I started this project, it was, okay, what are the lies of our reality? What are the actual lies of the thing we think of that we live in every day? And I guess the first foundational belief that everybody has, and it doesn't matter what culture you come from, how old you are, where you live in the world, 99.99% of people in some way believe that this was a world that's been created by some kind of loving God who cares about all their creations, who created who created this place as a place of learning and growth. And uh, we're here to experience and grow and change and transform and eventually become um, in some way good enough or perfect enough to go back and rejoin this original yeah, father become figure. Divine. Okay, that, th- yeah, that, that's the standard presentation, right? Mm-hmm and that shapes everybody's the way we respond to everything from that point i mean there there can't be a more foundational belief other than you know i exist as in a physical being the thing i see in the mirror this is real this is other than that belief that this would be belief number 2 in the in the most important foundations of belief and when you start reading though the gnostics or the cathars or various other ancient civilizations, various native cultures, they present a very different story. They present that there is some sort of totality. I don't like to call I don't like to call it a god. I don't like to I don't like to label it. It's more just to say it, it's it's absolutely something absolute. It's something perfect. It's something total. But that had nothing to do with this creation. They were very clear that the creation of this particular realm was from an evil god. The Gnostics uh, call it a demiurge. Um, the Cathars call it Rex Mundi. There's different names in the various native traditions. And this realm was created as a trap, created as a way to pull divine sparks, sparks of the uh, you know of the, of the true oneness, which was us now, made into souls and pushed into this realm uh in a sense to become a power source for the realm itself. That and this is one of the strangest ideas is the idea that we are in a sense, uh, some like to call it we're food, we're we're here to be eaten. Uh, but it it's also easier just to see it as we're here to keep powering the powering this realm. If this realm is a kind of computer, I'm not saying it is, but if it's a kind of computer, you can think what a massive scale of power this would need to keep itself running, to keep that AI Going, yeah. Um, it would make sense to have the things in your actual video game power the video game itself that you don't need an external source. That makes would make complete sense. And it seems like, and again, this is just a thesis. I can't say I know for sure. I'm just presenting some ideas for people yep. to think about, right? Um, but it seems like that's that's where you know what what's our what's our purpose or what's our what's our meaning of life. Or that's it. It's to it's to keep powering a system that's designed to. Keep us locked in here and not return to our real home that 's what these other cultures would have to say about this reality
0: yeah, matrix, so to speak that we're in and there's uh, it's it's hard to think about or for me like if it 's a robotic you know machine type simulation that we 're in like right. at some point it just resets at some point the Characters inside that simulation realize simultaneously and collectively that they're inside that simulation, and it gets reset. And, uh, yeah, I mean that's yeah it, because I I yeah. don't see the I point think of you're con- continuing to go that way. You know, I know there was a I think you mentioned something about after death the nothingness or being able to um basically, uh, navigate through, almost ignore what, uh, people, you know, the, the majority who have an NDE, uh, say goes on when they see a light or, you know, loved ones are there to comfort them and take them and they, you go to the light and, uh, going to the light is, uh, sometimes they come back or sometimes, uh, I mean, it could lead to a rebirth and, Mm a recycle into the simulation and being able to navigate away from that, being able to uh, escape that. That's that's uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you brought
1: up, yeah, you brought up a few, um, a few important points there. So I'll try to, I was writing them down while you were talking. So I'll try to take them in sort of an order of what you're coming up with. The first of this idea of resets. And of course that word is, now showing showing up very strongly in our reality right in yep. the last 2 years that's that's the word that's now thrown at us mm-hmm. i wrote about it in my book in 2019 in exposing the expositions before this ever happened it was a word at the time that was flowing around the um uh um And by the way, if anyone's watching video, I'm trying to point down so that you don't have to look at my screen reflecting in my glasses. That's why I'm pointing downwards at my camera, at at my computer box, so you wonder why I'm doing that. Um, uh, The word reset was appearing in the alternative history community for a long time to refer to times where it seems like history got to a certain point and was literally civilizations were wiped out and civilization restarted but seemingly not by some sort of just accident that this is either either a, a some we'll call them beings were orchestrating these new resets or that it's something that's literally programmed into our reality that every certain x number of years there's this wiping out of it so now that we're hearing this word again from the so-called people who are running the sh- think they're running the show here it indicates that yeah, what you're saying is is probably quite true. And I've heard people indicate that we are some of the resets, of course, in the way I kind of talked about it in the book mostly is that the resets are more linear. You get to a certain point. There's there's certain uh, certain characteristics that happen. There's a wipe down. There's a complete change. I I'd refer to it as um as a, a change of energy that it's a, mm-hmm. that the resets are energetic more than anything else. They're, they're about energy. They're about the, con- the containment of energy and the, and the, um, the parasitic eating of energy just done in a little different way, more seemingly trying to be more efficient for those doing it. So if we see that, then we're looking, what we're looking at is another, um, we're looking at another energetic reset. That's one side of the possibility The other side is also similar to what you had talked about there, which is this idea that just like a just like any sort of video game or computer game or something there, there is an endpoint there is a certain point that you get to and the game can't continue beyond it, and it will literally just go back to the start. And those i've heard who are will say. Uh, more believing that kind of idea don't necessarily say there's there's that there's a specific endpoint. it's more that we're caught in a loop there's been a particular time loop that's been stuck into our realm uh, symbolized by the Ouroboros in alchemic and hermetic tradition uh, some have even given an exact time of how long this lasts uh, and they've kind of said we're we're reaching the end of this particular uh, time loop and we're going to hit a certain point like literally we'll be like you know February 2nd, 2024, or something. And then the next day will be like March the 8th, 1008, or something. You know, it, it'll literally be like uh, a flash. And then wh- whoever wakes up the next morning is waking up like a thousand years ago or 500 mm-hmm. years ago, whatever. So those are the two possibilities of what I've heard for this idea of how resets are going. And I'll stop there to see if you've got comments or. Um, well, no, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, the fact that we've got you know the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset. Klaus Schwab has wrote in the book the Great Reset, and now collectively you're seeing on social medias, which uh, Twitter is a is a massive social media, Facebook, uh, the talk of the Great Reset, and it's almost like collectively manifesting. This reset, and when you talk about these like markers, it seems if you go back into your work with the expositions and the world's fairs, this technology uh, seemed to be quite more advanced um, than what we're led to believe. Uh, And it seems like at some point, when technology, which almost goes back to the story of Babylon. When technology reaches a certain point, when the knowledge reaches a certain point, when man gets to a certain point where they, they, I guess, know too much is when this uh, resetting, you know, seems to go on.
1: I don't know. I know we like to, that's how we like to think about it ourselves, because again, that's sort of a. It's a bit of self-important thinking oh it's happening because look at how smart we're getting but on the other hand when you look around the world i mean they're they i hear this yeah, often, we're oh, dumb, there's a, great we're dumb. Yeah, there's a great yeah there's a great awakening <laughs> happening now and it's like well really actually i mean there are some there are more people seeing a little bit more of how how big of a lie this is on certain levels they're seeing certain pieces but True awakening is seeing the 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 lie and deception of everything. Mm-hmm. And and if people are still at the level of governments and commerce, and I mean, that's like a lowest level of the deception. The deception goes into everything about the material world, everything about what happens in your dream world, everything that happens in the astral realm, everything that happens in the after death realm, everything of what entities are doing or not doing in this realm, who's in control of anything. Mm -hmm. um, When you pray to something, what are you actually praying to? Where's that energy going? I mean, it's like, it's vast. And I don't see that necessarily. I'm seeing more what you're seeing is is more. I would call them realizations are happening now. More realizations are. More people are realizing certain things that they never really noticed before because things have gotten so insane now that you kind of so many people have to notice them. I mean, and then the ones, so many of the ones that aren't noticing anything, we now have to ask, are they non-player characters, right? Like, yeah. like how many, how how, how many. Human souls are really here, you mm-hmm. know. So, oh, we got eight billion. That's a lot of souls. Well, maybe not. I mean, maybe there's, maybe it's always been a certain number, and and just at certain time periods they just fire in more robotic, uh, pro robotic characters to make a different story. But that doesn't change how many, uh, what you might call true humans there are. And I've I've come more now in the last few years to indicate there's a lot more of these non-player characters here than we might think, and Someone's asked, "How can you tell the difference?" I've had people ask, "How do you know?" And I've I've run into this over the course of the twenty-five years that I've been doing all this research, and I've I've come into other stories. There's very strange things that happen, but to simplify it, there are often people that I would that I didn't. They weren't friends or anything, but they're people that I I, I had a chance to interact with more than a couple times. So, you, you know, I had a few conversations, whether it's at a dinner or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And I started to notice that certain people had a very small box of discussion points. Like they could potentially talk about a lot of subjects, but what they would say about them or what their answers were to anything were very limited, almost like there's like a box of like 200 possible, uh, 200 possible things that they can present and that's it it's like a giant limited It see it doesn't seem limited when you're talking to them but if you're paying attention you start noticing that's exactly what they said the last time i talked that's exactly what that's exactly how they described this other thing the last yes. time I and i started to notice yeah there's people that just and it's not just you can say oh well they're they're they, they're not that cultured or all oh, you know they're they're too busy they just watch tv all day or but if you ask somebody 50 different questions, you will get a lot of different answers. You shouldn't get like to only, to only 10 answers to 50 questions. And that's kind of what I was seeing. And it was starting to make me wonder, okay, just how much of a robot is this? It's it's easy to say, it's easy to try to slough that off. But I began to see, no, we're we're dealing with things that are extra, extras in a movie, right? Just extras in a movie that are not, don't have a role, aren't gonna get a credit, you might say, when this is over but they're there just to make it look like a real functioning reality.
0: Yeah, and the the I have an example of this NPC. of um, Okay. I, I, I get on Clubhouse a lot, and uh, Clubhouse, you can talk to people from all over the world, you know, great conversations and stuff on there. Well, last year, a group of us, you know, every once in a while, we would mention Jesse Ventura, Okay, Governor Jesse Ventura. Where's Governor yep. Jesse Ventura? We would mention this. And suddenly, um, after a couple weeks, maybe a month, uh, every once in a while just mentioning, you know, th- these conspiracies uh, uh, that Jesse Ventura covered on his uh, his TV show,
1: mm-hmm.
0: everybody gets a notification to come join the governor's mansion, which is, a, which is Jesse Ventura on Clubhouse with his son doing a show he just popped up on the clubhouse and people right you know it's this is last year so i mean with covid and and everything people want to right away talk about covid the masks and the vaccines and his responses were so um not necessarily robotic But the way he repeated himself, I literally have recordings that I could lay on top of each other of of months apart where he says the exact same things over and over and over and over. And our theory was it's an A.I. system that's been uh, implanted on uh, Clubhouse, Uh, you know, (laughs) that is there because Clubhouse. We are. We know it's a big honeypot. It's it's recording everything we do on social medias and all this uh, on the computer. It's all being recorded. It's all being uh, monitored. So it creates these honeypots. And then the fact that uh, we, our group was talking about Jesse Ventura, and boom, he pops up into Clubhouse, and then his responses to, to certain subjects, they're so. Like I said, they're not robotic. It's almost like this natural uh, s- script, so to speak, you know. And that's what, what you'd get with an NPC type. Uh, they they have no imagination. They can't create. They um, repeat themselves. You know. I mean, that's what I think about with NPCs. But at the same time, I feel like all of us, in some way, are NPCs. You know, because we we oh, don't know how to get out of here. We don't know exactly where we're at. Um, even those who they we call they uh, that are we believe are in control of our reality. I mean, they are in control of our reality. Let's we can say that right off the bat. When it comes to our reality, it's getting to the point if you can't physically, if it's not in your physical reality. If it's not tangible to you, you have to um, question it. You know anything that's on the t- on the, your TV screen, computer screen, phone screen, it's all illusionary, to to an extent. You know, my belief right now, the way it's going, is nothing's real, but anything is possible. If that makes sense. Uh yeah, I, I
1: like that actually. Um, <clears throat> like I say, what I. Before I had my near-death experience in 2005, the time before that was really working hard with the native Indian teachers I had, with the Zen monk I spent time with, and it was all about testing reality. It was trying to prove, is rea- is reality real? And it reality failed miserably every single time. It just, it didn't hold up. It became very transparent, very, <clears throat> very wave-like, very changeable. Um, the the stories, actually, some of the stories, I, I got to the point where I was very, I was getting very concerned because reality, I couldn't keep reality stable, actually, I got to the point where, you know, I, I would hold on to a chair when I sat down, because I wasn't sure the chair was still going to be there when I sat on it, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got that, you've got that side of it. But it's also, I also began to recognize how much, and, and I don't want to say we're creating reality, because that's not actually true. From our side, what we're doing is we are perceiving reality. We're perceiving, or you can say we're perceiving. There's energy out there, right? Like, yep. like people are. If, if you're seeing this, you can see behind me. There's a. There's supposed to be a, a wall, and there's bookshelves, and there's a picture with uh, flowers on it. But that's not actually true. All that's all we can kind of say is that there's some sort of wave-like energy behind us, right? <clears throat> and it's the way we have we way we've learned to perceive that energy is what generates the. Uh, the reality we're experiencing in our brain, it's all perception. So if we learn how to alter the perception, or we don't say alter, or we can say alter the, alter the way we perceive, alter the, in Carlos Castaneda terms, to move that assemblage point, to change the thing that is interacting with the wave-like reality, we change perception completely. And that that leads to the anything is possible because as soon as you as soon as you shift to a different area of perception, like you're changing radio dials. Back when we had radio stations, you know, you're going from uh, AM 1200 to AM 1100. It'll be a completely different reality with completely different rules with completely different things that can happen. And what we can say is that those we'll call the minions of of the demiurge who are within physical reality, shaping the world, you might say. What they're really shaping is our perception. They're they're putting it in such a way that they want us to be locked at a particular frequency level at a mm-hmm. particular uh, radio station, so that we see reality the same all the time. So your analogy of the uh, when you were on uh, Clubhouse with this experience is very very interesting because. If you think if if you could get together with some of the some of the people you were with who had that experience with you and and see it maybe as like a frequency, is it some way that you all started dialing into the same frequency and once like you kind of something like you say AI thought, okay, we got them in the right frequency. Now we're just going to move them over to this other thing where we'll get we'll get they'll they'll hear what we want them to hear it makes sense. That's the best way I I might describe what might have been happening there. But it's, again, it's sort of in this perception frequency uh, idea. And so part of our job just at the base level is learning how to break the lock of the frequency.
0: Yeah. And like, speaking of frequency, I feel uh, the brain spends a lot of power and uh, a lot of its computing power uh, blocking out a lot of what's in quote-unquote reality just so we can perceive what is going on in front of us, what is happening in front of us. Um, There's the theory of the uh, rendering theory when you're speaking about your background there. uh, There's that theory too that, behind me, there's nothing there if I can't perceive it. Yeah. And it, which right. I had put out a tweet, uh, I had sent you there a couple uh, months ago, I think, where I had asked, you know, if humans weren't, if there were no humans to experience the universe, would it even exist? You know, because.
1: And that, that's the Zen quote, right? If a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? It's the exact mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah. It's, it's it's the same question.
0: It's because it's like the there's everything is electrical. Everything we everything we sense, see, touch, feel, taste, smell is all an electrical signal that is sent on a delay to the darkest place in the universe. Inside of our mind, where there is no light, the only true black holes that I know of are your eyes. No light escapes the eyes; it only enters. It does not escape, and when it enters, it is then, um, basically, computed and um, uh, whatever uh, converted into an image, into what a perception. That's all it is, because where what you are seeing is not, you know, they show kids in school like it's being projected into your brain you know like it's on it that's not exactly what's happening it's being projected into you know your eye your eyes but then when it gets into what you're seeing with the brain power it's all a an, an electrical signal it's all digital it's all you know it's 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 a simulation it's uh you know i mean I don't know any other way around it, you know. uh, But we're definitely in in some sort of simulation. Where does the power come from, just to power the human body, right? Just the the electricity it takes to pump the heart, to power and run these signals. These what seem we perceive as to be instantaneous signals. When in fact, they are delayed signals. We are actually technically living in the past because everything we perceive is off, what, like eight hundredths, thousands of a second or millisecond or something like that.
1: I've heard by some, some people have suggested it might be totally, it might be days or even weeks is how far apart that is. Not like milliseconds, that it might be literally we, something deep inside of us is really like two months ahead put, okay, put that, that into perspective
0: but <laughs> i'm gonna write that part of down. us is
1: really in this reality two months ahead but we're just experiencing now now you know like we're see i we're had i now. i yeah
0: years ago i had this theory that at death what death is is or i mean what life is is experiencing that uh you, the way your life flashes before your eyes that we actually are in a way already dead and going through the um, recollection, I guess, of our experience, and yeah, yeah, yeah the whole and, death and thing. Sort of... I have, uh, I have, uh, I have uh, obsessed with since I was like five yeah. years old.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, see, that's and that's so rare. Like, how off? How many people do we run into in our in in the world that have never thought about anything like this once in their life, like ever, never so, contemplated anything once um and it that actually blows my mind just in itself like there are so many strange things that can happen in any one day with any for anybody Mm -hmm. that i just told one on the on the on the uh, interview i did yesterday i'll share it here because it's a really good story and this is you know i noticed it but i'm there were other people on the street with me and i'm pretty sure they wouldn't have paid any attention to this whatsoever i was walking on the street i was living in calgary at the time I went by a bus stop, there was this kind of homeless slash a bit crazy guy, and he was moving his arms like really wildly. So it was easy to notice him to spot him, the bus pulled up, it was a specific bus, and I could see the bit of the bus driver and this kind of guy got up and he was waving his hands as he got under the bus. And well, that's a bit strange. You know, I'm just sort of I'm always aware for what I might be seeing out there and what the message might be. And the bus drove away is that because it was, you know, moving faster than I could as I was walking. When I got to the next bus stop, the same guy was at the bus stop and the same bus with the same bus driver drove up and the guy went through the exact same experience getting on the bus all over again. And, and that's when I just, as soon as that bus drove away, I remember I just stopped. I looked around first to try to get a gauge. I was not, I, I had moved. I had actually moved from one bus stop to another stop. I was not at the same one. I recognized there's different shops beside me and I just had to stop against the wall there and just what the hell have I just seen? You know, what, what is this? Yep. And I, I remember I just, I stood still for about 30 minutes and I'm like, how did nobody else notice this? And the thing is they, they probably did. And they just, they just turned themselves off.
0: There, so, uh, well, I mean, if it's an in, autopilot or, you know, they're in sure. their own world, I've caught myself in, especially driving being in my, you know, get caught into that autopilot mode. Uh, you know, just mm-hmm. with the everyday back and forth to work, you know, and the daily, I guess, simulation that we're in this. And that's the thing that uh really, I guess, puzzles me about the whole thing, you know, is just there's I, I don't know how there's a way out of it, you know, uh, and uh, just. Technology now, when you're talking uh, about people uh, kind of t- zoning or tuning it out or, you know, not realizing what's going on, they're programming the people around us even further and deeper with the devices and the technology to be even further blind to what is going on in reality and around them.
1: Yeah, well, I guess I, I guess the purpose of your the basic of that question, you know, the leaving this place is, is um is really it's really about understanding that this is not home and like you say it's a simulation it's not real and there's no reason for us to be here and it leads to i i didn't believe in reincarnation for a long time i i or i i was half and half you know and and i i fought about you know i fought against the people who all claimed to be cleopatra and there was 600 people who were napoleon you know but once you get past the people that are obviously just trying to be important with the idea or trying to make themselves special in some way there are there i began to see there are so many verified experiences particularly of young children right where they where the young child is producing names and information and all of that is seen to be totally accurate with no way that they could know something about somebody else's life in some other part of the world from 20 years before they were they were born right Mm-hmm. so there's been enough of that for me to, to now have to say that it's it, it's just true and um so once we know that reincarnation is true and once we start looking into the near-death experience and particularly people who are sharing pre-death experiences there's always a key part where there comes this memory wipe where we we have the last life wiped out of our mind and we're sent back into this suffering pit of hell it's best best way i can describe it and this memory wipe indicates that this is not a place of learning it's not a school because if this were a school if this was a place to learn you you know you don't go into grade 4 and forget everything you learned from grade 1 to 3 and have to start learning adding and subtracting all over again you remember that if you make a mistake if you if you if you step on a piece of your a piece of wood in your house that has a little bit of a you know, a nail sticking out of it, and you hurt your toe. You learn, oh, I better bang that down. Or if I'm walking again, I walk around that. This is learning. It's seeing what happened in our past, uh, making adjustments, and doing something differently as we go forward. So, given that we're getting memory wiped, indicates that we're we're it's just a, it's just a deception, and it links to the TV show Westworld. Westworld is a great example of this because that's what happens to the robots. Yeah. The robots yep. go out, they get killed, they get sent back to the main the main uh, housing unit, they get fixed up, they get patched up, and they get memory wiped, so that they can go back in the field and get raped and killed again, and just keep this cycle going over and over and over. And really, the first season, anyway, of Westworld is the story of Dolores and Maeve, who finally start getting the memories of all these past incarnations and all the things that have happened to them, and they finally realize, I'm done with this place. This place is insane. I don't know what's out the there. Because the system can't
0: fully wipe it. You know, it can't be fully wiped because if it's digital and it is this electrical thing yeah. and we're in an electrical universe, I mean, that can't be fully wiped. And there's a scene in Westworld where uh, I think it's when they they started to take over a bit. Those robots start to take over and uh, one of the workers... He uh, they kill one of the ro- shoot one of the robots down, and he then looks at his own hands and is kind of looking at himself because he d da- he himself at that point doesn't know if he's actually the robot. Oh, it was when uh, <clears throat> the le- that lead character I can't remember, it's been a while since I've watched Westworld, but but uh when they found out he was the pro, a robot.
1: Yeah, the, the programmer guy. Yeah. yeah.
0: When they found out he was a robot yeah. and then that, that right. other workers looking at himself, like, Oh my, you know, he doesn't know if he's a robot or if this is real for him, you know, it's right. That, that scene in Westworld was like, wow. Because I mean, that's basically what we could be de- dealing with, except we're not, uh, metal type yeah. machines we're a biological right. type of machine the electrical thing is what uh i guess perplexes me the most the fact that we are run on electric we need electricity i mean i am sure you've heard of grounding and uh yeah. being able to uh release particles and stuff through your body just through grounding in in the earth and in that it's it's just fascinating the, the whole thing's fascinating because, again, we don't, we don't know. Um,
1: no, and, and there, that leads to, like, the stuff on the historical side when you start looking at specifically ancient buildings, and it doesn't matter whether they're temples, pyramids, uh, these structures that you found in, in the 1800s and whatnot, they're, they're all energetic they're all yeah. built to, to bring energy together and control energy and, and project energy, actually, right? The cathedrals specifically, I mean, those are designed. That's how I actually started my World's Fair. Uh, study i started it in florence studying the cathedrals to see how they were machines and how the energy is how it's specifically it's brought in what happens to it and how it gets projected out and once you start realizing that you're you're actually dealing with them all these things they're machines actually they're they're not just buildings they're actually and they're yeah, they're creating energetic charges uh in 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 the ancient world at least it seems a lot of them were it was to balance to harmonize to like i don't doubt if Like, for example, if the ancient cathedrals like Chartres and whatever, they were still operating at full power like they used to be. I think if you were just sick, all you'd have to do is go there for a day or two and you'd be healed. That's all you'd have to do. The the energy of the structure would just would reharmonize your structure. And again, that tells us it's all energetic. So it's interesting if you're saying, where does the energy come from? You know, in one sense, it's coming you sort of coming from it, but not necessarily. This this realm could be built in a way that is producing the energy constantly. Things are being built in the human world to enhance the, you might say, the energy charge that's here or direct the energy charge. And we don't even know that's what they're all being done to do. Take, for example, just like yesterday was college football day, right, in, in, the, in the U.S., yeah. So, what, there's like 50 college football games with 60 to 70,000 people at, at every game. How much energy is being generated every single time they cheer, every single time they stand up and, you know, like like that's a mass energy creation device. Yep. Where does that energy go?
0: And it's ritualistic too in those sports complexes mm. and like uh take the super bowl for instance uh there's not only what's in the stadium but then collectively people watching through the broadcast you know tool the tv you know and all being basically hypnotized for that moment together in the same frequency and energy and then they do these wild occultic uh Ritual—they do these rituals right in front of us. I mean, you can't deny these are 100% rituals that they do. Because again, they're trying to create and uh, control our perception and our realities. And there was—they're I mean, doing yeah, there a damn good job. And of
1: it. I, I don't, oh, sorry. There was some guy, and I don't remember his name, but he had done studies of all the different sports fields and, and facilities in the world. Uh, whether they be soccer fields, basketball courts, or whatever, to show the, the how every single one is built on certain geometric oh. principles, geometric harmonies, all sorts of stuff, that they're literally not Sacred not plant. just random. Yep. Any of them are random. They are literally built to specific geometric proportions.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, so, they definitely so, so, know.
1: So, and he's saying energy. Yep. They're designed to produce
0: energy yeah that's uh from with the people the who are lines. there
1: or the people that are playing yeah
0: yeah there's uh there's yeah something going on and getting to the bottom of it uh you've uh i should have done some mushrooms this morning but the, <laughs> the i don't know if uh you know about d m t ayahuasca and and those uh hallucinogens d m t being the, the what they call the spirit molecule, which is in every living thing, and it's believed that it's released during REM sleep, and this is where you get your dreams. It's also released at the moment of death. Uh, and at that point, from what I understand, during death, uh, brain waves, uh, brain activity is uh, about 15 minutes, I guess, after death is what they're finding. You get brain activity, and it's just coincidental that DMT experiences are roughly 10 to 15 minutes. But in those 10 to 15 minutes, there's no time at that point, uh, just like in dreams. In dreams, there's there's no time in those spaces. Um, and I just find it interesting. I had this clip from uh, Graham Hancock that I wanted to play just real quick, it's just a quick clip. He he was just on Rogan talking about uh, this research that they're they're working on.
2: Research, Imperial College, uh, and I recently attended an event just a few weeks ago with with several of the volunteers in that project. and And what's happening is they are legally uh, being given DMT at Imperial College, which is one of the leading research institutes in the UK. Uh, and for the first time ever. They're not looking to find out what are the possible therapeutic outcomes of this. They're actually looking at the experience itself. It's very well known. Anybody who's, who's used DMT, I've, I've used DMT multiple times, is going to have entity encounters. They're going to meet entities. Uh, who may sometimes look very weird. They may be part animal, part part human in form. They may be almost formless, but yet they speak to you, they communicate with you. And of course the mainstream attitude, ah, this is just rubbish, this is just your brain on drugs. Well, Imperial College, they're now testing that view. And what they're finding is that these, and something else, DMT, as I'm sure you know, Joe, is a very short acting experience when you smoke it. Uh, It's about 12 minutes, maybe less. You're in there. You're plunged into a completely convincing, sometimes terrifying, parallel reality. It's so confusing. You you hardly know what's going on. And then you're out again. But you come out with a feeling that something's been downloaded to you. In Imperial College, they found a way to keep people in the peak state of DMT for an hour. They 're delivering it through through drip through timed release, and they're keeping the volunteers in an hour in that state so they have time to find their way around the the DMT realm that they find themselves in and the astonishing thing is that these these volunteers, both men and women, are all coming back with accounts of meeting the same entities and the same world and it has to raise the question and I know Rick Strassman has been on your show, and, and kudos to Rick Strassman because he was the, really the first scientist to work with DMT and human volunteers at the University of, of New Mexico. Rick Strassman is open to the idea that what <clears throat> happens with DMT is that it alters the receiver wavelength of the brain and that it allows us to gain access to other realities, that these encounters are not unreal, that they're real, but they're real on a level that we can't experience in a day-to-day state of consciousness. We have to be in an altered state of consciousness in order to experience them. And ultimately, the aim of this project is to map the DMT realm. You know, we talk a lot about extraterrestrials and ETs and making contact. And-
0: yeah, that to me, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Inception with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. That's basically mm-hmm. what they're they are trying. It, in. What I, in my opinion, is what they're trying, especially at some point, if they're in the same realm they're meeting the same entities and such at some point they're going to run into each other in the same hallway you know with these if if this is if there's these other realms and they're real they're real if that makes sense
1: yeah the the problem that again the, the, we, we have to go back to the initial beginning of where we started this that i would assume everybody doing all this stuff and all these tests and all this exercises believe there's a loving god and this place is this place is uh, here for you and your growth and your learning so if so then they want to go in these other things and find these wonderful light beings and spirit realms and and oh maybe there's some dark forces and we need to learn who to na- navigate against and no one is no one is walking in with the possibility that it's all dark it's all entities and all of them are there to trick and deceive you. And that's, that becomes the first problem is how do you know, how do you know who, just like in real life, when you meet somebody for the first time, how do you know you can trust them? How do you know what kind of person they are? Well, people, particularly in the spiritual world, they trust, they trust instantaneously whatever they come across because somebody says they should. And I think that's, that's a very dangerous place to be um, trusting anything outside yourself. The the power is here. We have, we have the greatest power in the whole universe. And to me, that's where the focus should be is what we have, not what we think something outside of us can give
0: us. Yeah. Yeah. With the trusting part, you know, a lot of people, when, when, first meet someone they trust them they always will say well it's a feeling you know they had a gut feeling about it it was an energy Mm -hmm. about it and there's sometimes when that energy is wrong (laughs) it it was it goes horribly bad for them uh yeah yeah
1: and more so more so when we're dealing with entities or you know things that are in another realm that we just are not used to I mean even I talk about this a lot that even when I go into dreaming uh, when I'm in my dream state a lot of times I'll meet people in my dreams that are like you know should be my friends should be people that I'm, I'm uh, you know I have a connection to so you automatically you open up more in the dream state I wake up in the morning and I feel horrible and I realized uh, I'm being I was being manipulated there you know some forces were trying to screw with me energetically and they were taking the form of a friend of mine so that I would pay attention to them so we we have to we have to recognize how many tricks and deceptions are being played on us on so many levels all the time and it requires such such incredible awareness to try to be one step ahead of it all that it's it's a it's a practice in itself just to to be aware of what might be attempting to trick us like right now it's um And even like to the people listening this, you know, you should be, why would you, why should you believe me? I'm just a guy who did some research and wrote a book. Like, you know, don't believe what I say either. I'm just sharing an experience and a perception that's come from 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 my way of living as just as a way for you potentially to look at something new for you to examine something else, but it doesn't mean to believe it. It means if it interests you look into it, study it for yourself, come up with your own answers and don't worry what I think. All that really matters is, you know, what you, have, what you have come to from your own conclusions, from your own experience.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's just fascinating. Again, what we're, what we're in or what, we're dealing with and then the fact that others inside here are perpetuating this uh diversion and deception. You know, not only yeah. percep uh perpetuating it on others but themselves as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and,
1: it's um yeah. Which can Yeah, it's it's um Oh, sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, I mean that takes you into Again, into the history stuff, uh, into this, uh, they seem to be, I mean, it's not even seem to be, I mean, they are lying about our history 100%. Um, And when I came across your stuff on the World's Fairs, it just blew my mind because looking at these pictures, you know, because right away I I went to that John Paul, uh, is it Sanks World's Fairs page? And everything on there and the pictures and the, you know, the technology they had, the, I mean, all the first, the Chicago's fair with the Ferris wheel, the hot dog, uh, was it Chicago's fair where they had picture IDs for everybody? Like how, I mean, how is this possible? And now today over a hundred years later, it's like we're devolving. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, and then you see these yeah. now I, I, I drive a dump truck, so I move earth. Right. And I'm on these massive, um, sites. You know, I see when you talk about, uh, was it Chicago was what 700 and something acres, yeah, which was swampland, because it was near the, it was on the low level of the lake, uh, to move, just to move the dirt, which people will argue and say, "Well, they didn't have the red tape; they didn't have the bureaucracy in that." That I move dirt, I move earth, I move rock, I move this stuff. And to, at that time, they did not even have a bulldozer. They didn't have any th- heavy equipment to excavate this. They literally would have to. Is what they show us is they would build these tracks basically like mining and they'd have to move these things constantly, you know, as they're digging and getting, you know, a couple buckets into each cart and then moving that cart, they would have to move the tracks and just the process itself. Not to mention in Chicago, it took what, two years to build that. You you had two Chicago winters.
1: Two Chicago winters
0: that they went through to do, to build this. You know, and then it's 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 destroyed and it's gone. And they tried to tell us it was just basically paper mache, so it it lit right up and burned down. You know, and then you see in other places, like uh, is it was it the Memphis fair or the Nashville there in Tennessee with the Parthenon? How they had Nashville, a, yeah. Yep, they had a full scale replica of the Parthenon, right? That was made out of their stucco or whatever it was to begin with kept and then later on supposedly swapped out for actual stone correct
1: yeah that's what they say now granted the pictures i've seen of the um parthenon in nashville i would say the building quality there is kind of average of that structure so i'm 50 50 on that one but when you look at remaining, the re, there's always one building that remained mm-hmm. from all these fairs. So if you look at the one that's remained, because they're usually art galleries now or historical museums, but like the one that's left in Buffalo, the one that's in San Francisco, the field, the old field museum in Chicago, the, uh, you know, some of these buildings, the Memorial Hall, I think in Philadelphia, these things are just perfectly built and, you know, high quality stone, high masonry, perfect, you know, it's like you couldn't build things more perfect, and um, yeah, it's hard to believe that. Oh yeah, they they've only built one like this. All the rest were all the rest were fake.
0: Yeah, uh, all the rest were uh, papier mâché. Yeah. I mean, even to the. And of point- course, the
1: problem, and the problem is though we don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we we can't we can't like uh, yeah I, I got theses that I put in the book, but I, it's not like I could prove it. But I feel like I'm able to take the narrative apart pretty well and say well this is what this is what how it's described this is what people who work in the field as building contractors and and others who deal with this stuff on a daily basis their explanations indicate the story can't be correct and then after that we're stuck with okay well what do we have and all we can do is start guessing really at that point but just to break down that any narrative like that is enough to start saying well then it's all a lie on some level and yeah it doesn't matter where you look in history you start if you dig you start finding the lies right
0: yeah yeah i mean even I, someone tried to argue once uh, saying well the amish I'll, I'll give you a couple hundred hundred amish they'll build you a barn and move it you know by hand and it's like yeah I, I get that i've seen that but uh i mean look at the size of these buildings look at how many people how many amish would it have taken to do this And like you said, where, you know, just the food, just the supplies, um, the sleeping quarters, the take Omaha, Nebraska, when Omaha had their fair, um, there was what, like a quarter million people or something uh, visited that there wasn't even roads to Omaha Nebraska <laughs> I don't think at the where time. are they
1: all where are these people all going to stay where are the, where are these yes. hotels that they're going to stay in where's the where's the food coming from to feed them where's the yeah so you I mean once you start and then there's yeah it was a perfect example of like just to think okay say I was I I had I don't want to too, too detail but uh I had a my building contractor look at the photos of the 1904 St Louis Fair because we have so many really good or at that that time had a lot of Supposed building pictures, and you do get a and you do get pictures of wooden structures of, of plaster now structures. Using no question, Germany for something something that's a thousand acres. Th- they were building stuff. I'm one hundred percent guaranteed, and they're building them very simplistic. And I can find them in the pictures myself. The problem was when you got to the large, right. the larger buildings, the really big ones, the ones that are yeah covering 20, 30, 40 acres. And you'd look at the building photo, it's always the building is complete. There's, uh, there's scaffolding along the walls. And then as my building contractor looked at the ground around it, it's just empty, like it's just mud and dirt around it. And he's questioning, first of all, well, where's your, where's your stack of building supplies? Like if I'm building even scaffolding, I need stacks of wood, where are the stacks of wood that are going to be there? We need we need like, t- you know, 10,000 oh, pieces of wood, where are they? Yeah, wh- and more importantly, where's the, where's the coffee cup on the ground? Where's the sandwich wrapper that's on the ground? Where are the bathrooms? So you need 20, 30, 40,000 workers. There's got to be you know signs that they've been there. When he looked at the photos, he said, "I don't know what this is, but nobody's been at this site for six months.
0: And then they have to be able to you know get back and forth to where they're staying. And at the same time, uh, major universities and um, insane asylums are being built. I have this picture of this one right. in Iowa. This uh, this is the Cherokee State Hospital. Now, uh, I was in here for a brief bit when I was younger. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but when you look at the history of the Cherokee one, I mean, they had tunnels. I mean, they had ton- tunnels on there where um, uh, they didn't know what to do with the Alzheimer's patients, so they would just throw them in these cells and these tunnels underneath. It's very horrific at the Cherokee State Hospital, and that's here. just one of those. And at the time that's in the state of Iowa at the time they already had three massive uh, hospitals like that built in the uh, mid, late 1800s. And then there was this massive push in 1890 to build more of these things. And yes, when you go back, I'm from Iowa, I'm from a city called Sioux city, Iowa. They called it little Chicago. Right. And Oh, you've heard of it. Uh, (laughs) well, the corn palace. Yeah, My
1: parents are from parents are from Manitoba. So, you know,
0: Oh, okay. Well, the uh, Corn Palace, um, that was from the late 1800s. That first originated was in downtown Sioux City, was the Corn Palace, which then it moved to, I think it's in Mitchell, South Dakota now is where they've got it. And that thing in itself is is pretty wild, you know. They'd build this uh, big palace, and then it's covered in corn and all this artwork and uh, just nice detail and stuff. And this was, I think the first one was built, what, in the 1850s? 50s maybe the corn palace they still have them today but uh sioux city i mean it's a old it's an old city now with omaha being down the road there getting supplies there they were on the river okay the missouri river was there or it was there it is there um it's that's why omaha is there that's why sioux city in the tri states, you know that's Your major cities are along the river, along the channel there. Uh, But, I mean, the amount of boats that would be coming in and out. And then, I mean, and then in Iowa, Iowa's capital, I kind of looked into Iowa's capital again. It was built there in the late 1800s. When you find a few of the construction photos, there's no roads there's, you know, and it's this okay. massive, the dome on it is a gold dome. I mean, it's, it's a 24 karat leafed dome.
1: I uh- was just, I was just going to bring up the state capitol in Des Moines because that's a really, that's, we're just, we're talking about Iowa. That's a really, yeah, really good example of like a building. I think that's built supposed to be built in 1871, 1872, mm-hmm. right? Something like that. Yep. And it's like uh, nothing against the state of Iowa or anything, but, why in 1871 would you need to build something that huge for the population that's there? It just makes no it would make it makes no logical sense that you would A, need to build it that big and B, that you would need to pull that amount of workforce from the things that are really needing to be constructed. I mean, it's like the the, the state is just trying to build itself up. It's just trying to actually, you know, function out of pioneer state. So you put all of your energy into, yeah. And that building is, it's spectacular.
0: Oh like it's yeah. It's spectacular. Oh yeah. I, going up in the yes. dome there. I remember going up there as a kid on a school field trip and it made me dizzy because there's just this little tight staircase that you, you got to go all the way up into that dome. And I remember getting up to the top and it made me dizzy and sick, but yeah, the, yeah. these are scattered everywhere. I mean, Everywhere, these amazing buildings and structures that, like, <laughs> when they were built, it's like, again, I move earth, you know, uh, dump trucks full, 20 ton, 22 tons at a time, you know, uh, and for them to do this with horse and buggy and a few, you know, carts on rails is just it it blows my mind. Now, the Des Moines the Des Moines Capitol took uh I think it was 6 or 7 years to build. So it wasn't like a 2 year, you know, it wasn't like a real I still even then, I mean, to me that is quick. I mean, to bring all this because yeah. it's all stone, it's all brick to set those domes on top of this thing to like there's so much that has to go on, you know just the foundation alone for these things for the world's fair, just the foundation alone to dig and to to form the the ground just to be able to put buildings up, whether they're made out of paper mache or not, the work that has to be done the dirt the dirt that has to be removed, and then the stuff that has to be brought in. I'm just checking. I've got, I've got a way to send you a message here, right? Uh, yeah. I'm just sending
1: yep. you this. I just found this particular photo of the building of the Iowa state Capitol building. If you want to just show people a little bit of a, kind of what you've just been talking about. Yep.
0: Like, Oh yeah. There they are. What putting are we, in what the, are we uh, dealing with? Let me pull up my thing here. Yeah. These.
1: Like, uh, yeah. Like what? What what why would you why would you put a building like that in the middle of nowhere?
0: And it is in the middle like of nowhere. like you say, no
1: roads, no nothing. Nope
0: no. Nope. And see, nope. you see, this is what I'm talking about here with the dirt, you know, the earth removed, and then they come back in, you've got to put a foundation. This they're putting blocks down. I don't know if this is four walls or just they're terracing. But I mean the amount of material that comes out and then the amount of t- material that goes in you know to yeah. have these foundations ex- especially things like this because that is so massive and so heavy you know and and i don't know what to settle how much it's settled you know over the last hundred and something years but it's it, it can't yeah. be much because i mean you would have Defects, you'd have cracks, and and it'd be constant need uh, repair. And I I don't think that these capital buildings are going through that. Um, even city um uh town halls and stuff. I mean, like Sioux cities, their old uh, town hall and their churches and stuff. These these things, these right. just so massive and so we don't build things like that today. We build massive things, but not into that level of detail and just craftsmanship type you know
1: yeah and energetic that's the other thing that's being forgot is that they're mm-hmm. they all have an energetic structure to them and the energy is usually quite beneficial it might have turned negative over time and and might have been used for negative things but it it seems like in their original state that they were somewhat balancing and harmonious to to humans now while we were talking i have i have a question for you it's about iowa so i figure i can ask you all right this is a question i've had for a three years. And I've always wondered about it. Why do magical stories always get set in Iowa? Bridges of Madison County, um, the Shoeless Joe story. Um, oh, there were a couple of others It's sort of like famous novels slash movies that have a magical element, they want them set in Iowa. Why do you think that is?
0: Man, I I don't know. I've never I didn't even I've never thought about that. I've never put those together. I know, uh, I just know that like Sioux City is a very old, um, if it wasn't for the, um, elevated rail cars in Sioux City, there wouldn't be elevated rail cars in Chicago. That's how old Sioux City is because they had the right. elevated rail cars and Sioux City decided to get rid of them and, uh, uh, billionaire someone i don't know rockefeller somebody in chicago said they wanted them they bought the track and everything and then moved it all the way to chicago It that whole thing in itself is fascinating you know uh yeah. but the energy stuff uh i've heard you talk about going to certain um sites and uh you can feel the energy and going to a place like stonehead hinge where you feel no energy and then to come to find out Stonehenge, well they've moved it they've completely disrupted whatever energies or whatever was attempted to be uh, achieved with that structure from the beginning because they pulled it out of the ground and they they took it away and re uh they fixed it <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've been, I've been fortunate over all this time, uh, over the last 25 years. I haven't had a lot of money, but the little bit that I've had always went into travel. So I've been to Egypt several times, been into all the sites in Mexico. I've yeah, been through sites all through Europe. And one thing I noticed is that the more complete the site seems to be, and of course, like even an Egyptian temple, all the statues are gone, all the reliefs are gone. I mean, all it was all a part of the energetic makeup. But even with that, as the as long as it's fairly complete, it still has a, a very strong energy. Of course, the pyramid sites like Dashur and Nabusir and uh, Saqqara and Giza, those are Teotihuacan in Mexico. They're they're on like another level. I I talk about I'm I'm in another universe actually when I'm when I'm there. I'm not actually in our let's say I'm not in our simulation. I'm I'm in the previous simulation. That's how that's how so different and so powerful they are. So I was really surprised, yeah, when I came to Stonehenge, and it was just dead it was like, there was nothing, zero. There was no enter. And I even went, I had the special permissions where you go in at night um, because you're not allowed to get close to the stones during the day. Now, if you're just a tourist, you have to get these special permissions. So yeah. to the special permission. So I thought okay, it must just be in the center, you know? So I was with directly with all the stones in the center, nothing still. And I couldn't understand it because the next day I went to Avebury and, and when I was at Avebury at their stone circle, uh, if I didn't stop, if I stopped moving, I thought my legs were going to catch on fire. That's how that's how much energy was moving through my body, like I was like, my legs were burning when I would stop moving. So yeah, it wasn't until like, maybe two years later, I bumped into a website that was just by accident showing a bunch of construction, uh, construction photos from the 1950s of Stonehenge. And I realized a complete archaeological survey had taken place, they took all the stones out of the ground, all of them, Put them on trucks parted them away (laughs) dug up the ground checked a whole bunch of stuff now here's the part we don't know we know they brought stones back but we can't be for sure if they're the same stones or if they brought back Ah, uh, copies of the stones, and the real stones are somewhere else. We don't know. They put them in and they cemented them in place. This is like mind blowing. Like I've been to stone circles, like all through Scandinavia here, and there's a very specific way that the stones are placed in the ground and contained with the ground and the connection with the earth. And they're cement at Stonehenge. They're in cement. And once I saw this, it's like, well, there it is. This explains why there's no energy. It was literally, it was literally just. Well, they go to part and
0: that's yeah. not taught to us in school. That's something that they don't say because this isn't like it was done, you know, a decade ago when they did this. This was back in what the fifties, the late forties, early fifties. I
1: think it was nineteen fifty-two or nineteen fifty-three, something. Yeah, like yeah that.
0: when they when they did this and. You know, they've had plenty of time to tell us at school that they did this, that, they, that <laughs> what they're telling us about stuff, because I literally made a class project where I had to, I took little blocks and made a little stone hinge, you know, nowhere did anybody say, hey, you know, those are cemented in, you know, we actually moved them there. You know, they might not even be the way they, <laughs> they were to begin with and. With the energy. Now, one
1: thing, though, about Stonehenge that people tend to forget is I think there's a, a complete area under Stonehenge.
0: Well, didn't because they light our
1: Now, Yeah, there's there's a car park. The car park is now on the other side, or at least it was when I went there. And you cr- you went underneath the road. They actually have like a walk where you go underneath the main highway and then you come back up the other side. But when you're there, there's all of these steel doors in this underground little passageway. And when I and I asked a lot of questions to the you know the, the guard people that were around like what are all these doors? Oh you know they're they're doors for you know cleaning supplies or you know offices or whatever. It's like what one, are- you don't need that many and you don't need steel like heavy locking bolt doors for you know your yeah. cleaning supplies and your garbage. I'm pretty sure some of these are just like just like ones I found at Giza that were exactly the same, that were literally they looked like it was just a door, but workmen with enough conversation told me like yeah if you open the door, these are the tunnels that go down under the plateau. And so I, I don't doubt that there's there's just as much going on still below the ground at Stonehenge. And that might be another reason why the energy is so changed. There might be rituals and things that, that are been going on for a long time under there that are using the energy in obviously not so good ways. And that's that's kind of destroying it a bit. One more last piece on Stonehenge that for for anyone who goes there, one of the one of the we- the weirdest thing because I I didn't get to the inside first. I just did the 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 normal tourist thing first. But when you come out of the walkway, you come up this way and then the road the 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 way the pathway, it t- tilts you this way. Uh, or no, sorry, tilts you to this, to, to, to the right. And everybody just walks that way. And I realized they were walking around it counterclockwise. Everybody walks around it. And I, from the time I spent with the native medicine men and learning about the medicine wheel, which I see stone circles as the the equivalent of a native Indian medicine wheel, um, you're supposed to walk around them clockwise once before you enter them or before you do anything with the medicine wheel in order to, you might say, activate it, turn it on or or link the sky and the earth together. And I realized everybody by doing this day after day is turning it off because when you want to turn off a medicine wheel, you walk counterclockwise and you end your ceremony right so when I got there, uh, we walked around it clockwise. We actually we were the only ones we had to like navigate through you know people just mm-hmm. to walk around it clockwise. When, when I finished the walk, when I got back to the start I heard a voice and it just voiced voice said thank you yeah and so it's like even little things like that, what would happen if all the tourists in the next two weeks all walked clockwise around Stonehenge instead when that would that start to turn it back on again? I don't know, but it's all these little things that seem non important on the surface or like uh, it doesn't make any difference, but energetically it does,
0: yeah, and that energy that you can feel like uh i it had to have been eight years now, seven eight years. Me and the family, we went on a cruise and we uh, went out of New Orleans and it was the first time I'd ever been down there. And you can feel an energy in New Orleans. I mean, and then we took a tour of like one of the cemeteries because you have to take you have to have a tour guide to go into any of the cemeteries and finding out the history of New Orleans and just the death down there. I mean, you can feel you can feel something, you know, and, and I remember going to, uh, I can't remember which site it was outside of Cosmel, Mexico. Down, I think it's Mexico, Cosmel, but I went to a Mayan site down there and that I could feel when we went up to one of the small uh, moon, I think a pyramid of the moon, I think it was, I mean, you could feel the energy, you know, I wish I would have known about grounding more at that point. Cause I would have kicked my shoes off and, mm. uh, you know, walked around, you know, barefooted, I did, there was a natural spring there that, I mean, it's like 50 foot deep. Everybody sits around it and puts their feet in it and lets those little fish, you know, nibble their feet. But you can see in the light how the energy in that pool has got to be completely screwed up now because just the sunblock from people's legs, you know, just the stuff that's, there's no sacred I guess if that's even a word it's just a tourist attraction now and it's uh I know some of these sites they still do the like the summer solstice stuff and and things like that but for the most part it's just a a walk through uh uh you know tourist attraction and with those things we're finding in Central America and in the jungles that the those uh, systems and cities are way further vast and, and, and bigger than, than yeah. we could even imagine because we've been told, you know, our whole lives, this is it. There's the, you know, the Mayan pyramids and Mel Gibson's gave us that movie where they cut their heads off and stuff. And, you know, I mean, but now they're running the LIDAR down there and finding that these are, these civilizations were massive, massive, uh, Carl uh, our Randall Carlson and uh, Graham Hancock were talking about some of that too on uh, Rogan this last episode they're on about they need more funding to be able to map the entire jungle because of what is underneath that canopy and that is more hidden history more. And even if they can get to it and and map it, I mean, we're we're still not going to get the full scope of what's there. They're not going to tell us the full scope. I mean, the mines are a good example. I mean, everything about them was destroyed. Uh, there's no real trace of them except for these massive uh, structures and stuff. There's like what one a half a book that was found or something, and that's about it. That's all a few we got. Things,
1: yeah the challenge the Maya is a really good example. We're talking about exiting the matrix. Okay. So that's subject of the book subject of my, my discussions now. And the Maya's are a really good example. The Anasazi of Southern, the Southern U S is another one, some other groups, the, the archeologists who are supposed to have the knowledge of what, of this, their history acknowledge, they don't know what happened to them. They literally just disappeared.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the Mayans were, what 10 million 15 million now when you start 20 when you start to realize the vast scope of the cities that they had and the problem is when the archaeologists try to explain where they went they got no bodies they got no graves they got nothing and so they try to come up with explanations oh there was a famine and they had to move this and they they moved around or there was some that they, they they did something with the death Oh, there was something maybe disease-wise they had to burn their bodies or okay or maybe the maya were so advanced so understood the simulation reality and got to the point where they just said we're done with this place they became dolores or Mae from westworld they said we're done and we're leaving And they maybe just left on mass they maybe just as a group just decided we're not going to stick around here anymore and they just left um now we can't prove that but something tells me that that is very much plausible that usually it's presented if you want to actually exit the plato's cave exit the matrix it has to happen after you die that that's maybe because that's the most the most likely navigation point, but I still think you you can do it while you're before you die. Uh, it's probably much more difficult. There's there's all sorts of things you'd have to know, but it's possible. In tight, like the the Anasazi, right of of like I say, of southern southern U.S. Again, their 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 buildings and their their structures and whatever. It's like all of their belongings were just left in place. It's like they all just got up and left and never came back. And it's oh, but there's a natural disaster, there was a volcano, there was an earthquake. they all had to but there isn't really damage there isn't really there doesn't really showing there's any kind of major destruction uh doesn't there's no signs of battle, there's no signs of like death or anything. They're just gone, and again, maybe they just decided I'm leaving
0: and that, that's then we're talking about the physics being able to to because they basically left everything i mean there was nothing taken with them so the physical being able to um, transcend, so to speak, the physical. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it's
1: Well, once you know, once you know, you're not a physical body, once you've come to realize that this is the world's an illusion, and so am I. Uh, That was the big thing of my death experience, I'd come to see the world was an illusion, but I kept thinking I was real. And when I had the death experience, oh, yeah, I'm just as fake as the rest of the world, right. So but there's something in me that is that is an awareness or an observer something that's true but it's non-physical right it's not a physical thing but it it, it's what i would classify as the true me and it's it has nothing to do with anything material so obviously if you would know how to suck your awareness completely into this this totality and in a sense just totally and and keep it strong disengaged from the physical completely because one of the things about the material world, this is I'm not a big fan of Buddhism, but Buddhism at least is very much about attachments and traps, and they call it um, grasping, things that are constantly keeping you here. And a, a good way to look at reality, our reality anyway, it's a giant distraction machine. It's just designed to keep our focus on something. It doesn't matter what it wants us focused on something. And our technology has been like an extra ramp up of like something else that we don't even have to go anywhere to be focused on. We just stick it in front of our face and now we're focused on that. So it's once you, once you disengage from all the distraction points, from all the things that want your attention constantly, and you just say, what's left if I like turn off the world, who am I, if I, if like. Literally, this place just—if I turn the dial on this TV and it all turns off, and then I turn the dial off on me, what what would be left? And there's this realization: it's not like you disappear or go away. You 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 move into a really complete totality of yourself, and then from that totality, my guess is you would be able to just not be in physical matter anymore if you don't want to be. Problem is now you're moving to these finer realms. Now you're moving to the astral realm. And that's a whole new world. There's a whole set of traps up there. And if you're not prepared for that, well, now you'll get trapped there. You're not trapped, you weren't trapped here anymore. You're trapped there. I don't know if one's better than the other. So it's it's a giant process of learning. And I think that's where Lucid dreaming can be very helpful. Out of body experiences can be helpful because we're getting used to being conscious and aware without a physical body. So that depending if we're in a physical body, we can be conscious and aware. If we're not, we've are we're, we're not in a physical body, but we're experiencing, we don't get freaked out and, and can handle that too. So I think all of this stuff helps us as we try to figure out what's going on and what's the best, choices we can make i think you were talking about you know the white light and the after death experience and one of the things that tends to come from when you read and i've read a lot of them now i've read a lot of near-death experiences is there there tends to be either such a draw to the white light because it's so beautiful it's so loving it's like they the people oh it's just the greatest thing i've ever felt in the world or they feel uh pressured to go they feel pushed to go you must go now time is running out or and and I think that's the opposite. We should be able to be in a place where we should take our time. Like, I would never want to tell anyone what, what to do or what not to do. But I think once we're in that state, we should, because it's going to be confusing, we should try to at least make sure we've got ourselves a, a bit of protection where we can say, okay, everybody, just stop. I'm going to examine my situation now. This is totally new for me. I don't know what's going on. I'm not agreeing to anything. And let me just look at this for a while and, and I'll get back to you in a while. And I think All of this is important to begin practicing now so that when we get to that point, we handle that in the same clear manner that we're trying to handle this reality.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, things like this, uh, DMT drip and, uh, other, um, hallucinogens could help with this. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. What what Graham's talking about there is that's what I believe they're trying to do because this, when you're lucid dreaming, Again, the DMT, the DMT is present in the lucid dreaming. So the DMT, there's something in that molecule that is helping.
1: Yeah, there is and there isn't, right? The problem is anytime we take something that we can classify as a drug, and it doesn't matter whether it's alcohol, cigarettes, it doesn't matter what it is. There's this, and these are some shamans who, who explain this to me. They do provide a gift. There is a gift that they give for using them the problem is they demand you might say a payment for using them there's something we have to give in order to get the gift that they offer to us and the question everyone has to ask is what they're demanding of us is what they're demanding of us you might say worth it for what they're giving me in return and that's a really big question that sometimes people forget that there's a it's a two-way street
0: and and I've thought about that of cuz I've never done DMT I I've I'm if they've offered to me i would have done it but i've thought that you know maybe by doing the dmt it could inhibit that release at death you know because mm. i'm not a god person i'm not a religious i'm not into religion you know i i still have no i don't i don't know right but if i were to make an argument for a god it would be the dmt it would be that release of that drug you're comforted in even at the moment of death you you're going to be if you know what's going on comforted through whatever it is whether it's the nothing or it's something or it starts over and you're stuck in this shit again And I'll
1: say for sure I don't want that comfort can comfort can stuff itself in the garbage can I want to know what's really going on I want to be absolutely clear in my own power and to me comforting white light love peace that's just another drug to confuse you when you're in that at- this is my personal opinion now, yeah based on the, what i've researched yep. i think that's just another trick to get you into a into a place where they can uh where you can be told by these wonderful beings who care about you how you've been such a bad person you'll you're labeled with guilt and shame and suffering you weren't you didn't you didn't you didn't uh you weren't loving enough you have to go back to become a better person and i, I think it's all just a trick to be quite honest with you. I think it's all trick. And so to me, no, I don't want comfort. I want truth. And that's I a, truth. what I want to know what's there.
0: Saying as far well, as. I, I
1: know exactly what you're saying. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out to, to the listeners. Yep. Um, so that, so that they themselves can really think about, you know, it seems natural that we would want something in a, in extreme confusion that makes us feel better. Mm-hmm. But does that really, again, does it help you or is it some form of trick? And the more we can ask those questions now while we're still alive and can think about it before we're there, gives us a better chance, I think, to make the right decisions. And I don't know, maybe the the right decision for somebody might be to go full on and say, that's what I want to do. That's how I want to experience it. And I want to go to the white light and I want to come back and, and, you know, great. I'm not going to, I'm not going to in any way tell anyone what to do. I'm just sharing, but that might not, you might want to, we should all think about it first to make Mm -hmm. sure that's what we want to do
0: and that's where like the uh, the using the synthetics or the dmt's um attempting to prepare for what's going to happen to know that there's going to there's going to be that attempted comfort that you have to turn away from it and go somewhere else but then again there could be a give or take there could be a possibility that you don't even you don't even get to experience that because yeah i i don't know so I'm all over the, you know, anything is possible. Anything is possible, and but I also take comfort in the nothing. I also take comfort in the nothing. I have this real quick clip uh, I wanted to play, that kind of yeah. is with this. It's a uh, S- Stan Lee and Larry King. Just a real quick uh, clip.
2: Yeah. Are you afraid of dying? No, not at all. Do you think you go somewhere? Uh, no. The one thing I can't understand, I can't grasp my mind around, I feel when you die there's just nothing. It's like when you're it asleep did. and you're not dreaming. But I can't imagine nothingness lasting forever. That's what That's I, the thing that
0: I cannot get. I can't grasp, to not exist yeah. forever. Forever. When does forever end? Yeah. The next time. That's, uh, yeah, that, I seen that clip. Uh, uh, couple of years ago and it was right. just for one, they're two old guys on the verge of it. And, um, just that realization of the nothingness, you know, it is hard to wrap your head around. Um, because there is nothing like that. I think uh, someone mentioned something about meditation, maybe okay. it is part of the practice to be able to prepare for that nothingness. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and the nothingness, which we we would call the void, which i had the experience of it is quite it's undescribable of what what it is to be in the void and the nothingness it would be, be uh it's also called the clear light in zogchen buddhism and the challenge is the feeling is like you are in the totality like and it, it's it's another it's another trick actually because it's it's still in plato's cave it's mm-hmm. very close to the exit, but it's still a part of Plato's cave. So someone says, I feel timeless. I feel, I feel totally, there's, there's no separation. There's no time. There's no space for now. Eventually, something will create a movement and you'll want to go back into some form of duality again. You'll never, you'll never actually stay in the void forever. You'll just be in this void space for a certain amount of time and when we're talking about simulate this may help understand it for people when we're talking about simulations uh particularly these these groups like the gnostics and the cathars they were clear that the simulation we experience is a copy it's a copy of a real realm so that means, and that's that that is another level of trick so that means there is a true uh what we might call nothingness right true nothingness and then there's what we call nothing, what we've experienced in our physical, non-material form, which is the void, which is a copy of the nothingness. And it's so close, it makes you think you're in the real. So it's it's also this thing of how do I know I'm in a real nothingness and not a copy of the nothingness? <laughs> it's it's just such a vast question of it. But I do know that from being in it, I I would, hi- it, first of all, it's highly clearing. It's highly safe. Um, it, it is, it does contain everything and nothing. Um, it's easy to get tricked into thinking you've reached the pinnacle of everything. And this happened to me myself. I thought I was like, there's no more for me to know I've, I've reached this thing. This is what's in the books. Um, I did it, you know, I'm like pat myself on the back and then life started to get really difficult and be finally, after a number of years, I began realizing I'm fooling myself. I, I haven't actually reached some sort of totality. There's a lot more to learn. And first I had to unlearn all the bullshit I put, gave to myself from thinking I was, you know, so highly advanced. And in a sense, the, one of the reasons I'm sitting here talking to you today about all these matters is because it it took me over 10 years to to clean out. So a lot, not all of it, I'm still stuck with a number of garbage patterns and garbage ideas within me. I'm fully aware that you know, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers. I'm working hard to still understand everything. But I've come such a way in, over the last 10 years that now at least I feel I'm in a place where I can share a lot of the experiences, share a lot of the things I've had, and and just share them in a in a very concise, clear, uh, non-judging, non-judgmental way and let everybody determine what they want to determine from what I'm sharing. As opposed to years ago, I was really trying to make sure that not only did I present something, but this is the answer and you should agree with my answer. And now I know, you know, I, I don't know, but I do, I have seen what I thought was the end. What I thought was the top of the mountain is just a, you know, it's just a spot on the mountain,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, keep climbing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, with that, I mean, this has been a great conversation. Howdy. I, I, I'm really thankful you came on the show and we were able to talk about this stuff. Like I said, I, when i heard john tinfoil hat and then i i went and i i had to find every <laughs> every podcast you're on to to go over uh the uh world's fair stuff and i, I don't know how long i've spent on this jps world's Fair thing uh coming from uh, isn't here it the an Korea. amazing
1: site is... and isn't it amazing to see how many books were written like at the time of the fairs like i i, I think of st louis as an example i think there were four books each around 5 to 6000 pages written the year after the St. Louis World Exposition it it's like just it's mind blowing what's available from the standpoint of
0: and how this is an obscure it's a really obscure site studylove.org yeah. if you go to the main site you kind of have to look for where this world's fair thing is because yeah, you
1: can't find that. It's almost, it's really <laughs> yeah. hard to find that. You need to know the slash world's fairs and yet to find it.
0: And it is, it it is it's got everything. I mean, everything, pictures, the books that they have that are archived books. Um, this might be one. Let me see. The archived books yeah. are, they're amazing. They're, I mean, yeah. especially when you get into the full color ones and then, to know, like some of these were like mass printed, you know, to be handed out as programs, so people could like. Yep. It's it's just yeah. So there's another thing that a lot of people don't
1: realize is there were they were literally tour like tra- tour guides for all of these things. Like there was like Rand McNally, the famous company, they put out tour guides for every single one of these fairs, like giant books of all the restaurants, all the exhibits, all the. I mean. And
0: wow. then someone's got to go through here and and scan all this, but this is all full color. These are, what did I click on the 18th? I might've clicked on Chicago, didn't I? Cause this is the, this, uh, I know they had a Scandinavian house in the, sh- there it is right there. Yeah. That's that,
1: it. It's, it's actually one hour away from me. It still exists. Yes. And that, because visually.
0: they, they supposedly built it over there, disassembled it, shipped it over here, rebuilt it yeah. without uh screws. And uh, or I guess they probably had some bolts, some nuts and bolts maybe, but they don't it's, have hey, well, screws. Pre, it
1: was pre, it prefab stuff, right? Yep. It's like the one of the first prefab. And it was one track.
0: of the only ones that survived that fire, right? And they were able to yeah. disassemble it and ship it back. It's this, this stuff is just mind blowing. And you can be on this for hours.
1: When I went to that building, sorry, when I went to that building, I just, I stood there and I touched it. I just put my hand on the front banister there and all I got a sense of was just masses of movement in front of me. It was just, and I, re- I realized later that the, that building was stationed right at the point where the country buildings started and the state buildings ended. So if you were walking from the main part of the fairway along the waterway, um, like, you know, past from the, from the obelisk, if you were walking to the, like there into the midway, you had to walk past the Norway building. So it made sense that there would have been unbelievable amounts of movement of people, but not many people would have actually gone into the building. And that's exactly what I experienced when I was standing there.
0: Yeah. The, the, the world's fair stuff is just so fascinating. And, uh, yeah, the like what path. you should do. What you should do as a test,
1: actually, is get get a few people. If because Chicago is not that far from you, really, is try to get some people who have who have uh, the ability to feel some energy and whatever, and maybe not even tell them too much what you're doing, but take them right to the old World Fair site and just see what they come up with. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if they what they what kind of information they're telling you about that particular site itself. Because again, it's um. Think of the manufacturers building at the Chicago Fair. Three hundred thousand people could fit in that building.
0: Right here, the and uh, that
1: actually might be it on your left hand side. Yeah, yeah, the interior. Three hundred thousand people could fit. Three and the Rose machinery. Could fit.
0: The machinery that yeah. was inside there, to be, just to move around that machinery and set that machinery yeah. in place, like it's so. You know, especially for the layman and someone who hasn't who's never even thought about this or thought about, you know, how convoluted our history can be, so to speak. And then you start to show them stuff like this. And it's like, well, look at the Ferris wheel, the Ferris wheel, for instance, when I tell people at the Ferris wheel and each car, each little carousel thing could hold 50 people in it. They're like, wait, what? Right. This is the very first Ferris wheel ever built. And each car could hold like 50 people, and there was what? a hundred-plus cars on that thing. Yeah. Huge right. Massive, right. Just massive. You know, they, there's nothing right. built like that today, but back then. And um, what was the other uh, fair uh, where they just a couple yeah. of years after the airplane? And there was there's video of this guy who's he's lighting flares. On, the planes at the time are literally paper; they're made out of paper, right. and he's lighting flares on the wings and doing loops and and it's like, what is this is crazy? Yeah, you know the things that they yeah. were able to do. Uh, again, I mean, and the lost the things technology that they
1: were able to do it, and, and 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 you know we don't want to go too much longer here for people, but uh, if you look into the fairs, to me, still the most important part of them is on those midways and the particularly the historical exhibits the historical exhibits at these fairs were so gigantic in scale and i think they were they were manufacturing history before television before movies before whatever they were able to create a historical narrative presented at these fairs because they were presented with like the roman coliseum exhibit in st louis had i think 5000 actors portraying ancient rome or 3000 actors or something so could you imagine having gone to that not just you would have felt you were in ancient rome you would have believed you've just seen gladiatorial yep. fights in ancient rome and they had 50 of these kinds of exhibits at these fairs uh all uh directly with actors and i think this is a huge part of them i think the part of what the fairs were doing was They were manufacturing our, the reality we've come to know today. And that's why I think we were possibly seeing the end of the last reset, the restart of it, the restart of our, what you might call modern um, mentality, the modern science, the modern education Mm -hmm. system, the modern governmental system, commerce system, everything. It's all being built and presented at the, through these fairs. And we've reached the end point of it. Hence this reset and they want to take us into a, completely different reality now and i wonder want to plug what us be, in
0: inside yes yeah, what
1: would be the world what would be the equivalent of the world's fairs that would be here in 10 years that'll be the new indoctrination tool
0: yeah well howdy this is the, again this has been great if you want you know tell people what yeah uh, where they can find you or what you're uh where they can find your books yeah Uh,
1: so the website is the terribly named egyptian-wisdom-revealed.com you can at least get up to uh, overviews on the four books that i have Uh, exit the cave interestingly just came out yesterday finally as a print book so it's also now on amazon it'll take a while if you're looking for other bookstores to buy it through Uh, it's still available as well as as a pdf file if you're if you're looking for it as a simple ebook on my site howdy mccoskey talks is my youtube channel so far for now, still going. And yeah, there's, you know, whatever 300 videos there on a variety of different subjects. And um, I guess that's, that's the starting point. And um, yeah, we'll just see where all of this goes in a while. I'm working on a second book, um, book book two of Exit the Cave, and I'm going to start the study of that uh, over the next little while. And um, yeah, it's always nice to come on with people like yourself, because, you know, I would have never known how many podcasts existed and how many really interesting really true researchers are running podcasts like yourself. And so I'm always, I'm always thankful to come on and meet someone new like yourself because it's like, look at all the great stuff and the great questions that are being asked out there. And I, I hope, I hope people are more people will, will come and hear the kind of things you are, you're sharing and the conversations you're having. I think it's just fantastic that these things exist.
0: Yeah. I hope, uh, people that hear this one go like I did and go find everything they can uh, about howdy. Cause, uh, the research is is great, and uh, all the links and stuff will be in the d- descriptions, and uh, check it all out. And thanks again. Okay. All right, man. Yeah. That uh, thanks thanks a lot. That like. Seriously.